Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 20 um, this morning. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. It says in verse number 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is one of the northernmost regions in the, uh, in the Jewish lands at that time, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's a very important question. If you mark in your Bible, if you take notes, and if you highlight, that's a very important question there. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And in verse number 14, it says, They replied, Some say that you are John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. Still others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus says, But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? We believe the crowd that is gathered there is a very small crowd. It's his 12 disciples that he has around him and those who are following as well. We believe that probably his mother Mary and Mary Magdalene and some other, some other folks were traveling with him at this time along with the 12. He says, who do you say that I am? Then Simon Peter, probably the most outspoken uh, of all of the disciples that followed Jesus. Sometimes that was good for him and other times it was bad for him. He said, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Again, in verse number 15, if you mark, check that question there. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave his disciples order to tell no one that he was the Messiah, which I think is pretty interesting because today we live in the time of the Great Commission to tell everyone that Jesus is the Messiah. At this point, the disciples were told, don't tell them yet because he wanted them to see for themselves. There would come a time when they would be told to tell everyone who he was and what he did. But the time had not come yet. Father, I pray that you'll minister right now in Holy Spirit. I pray that you would hinder me from saying anything out of your word this morning that would be out of context or out of line or out of step with what you want us to know of you and from you this morning. Speak to us now as we turn our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our attention totally and solely upon you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Throughout the course of our lives, we get a lot of questions asked, don't we? We, we get a lot of questions. How many of you like trivia? You like trivia, okay? I love trivia. I love it. I love trivia about just about everything and anything. I just like it when people ask me questions. I actually was one of those weird students who liked tests. Now, some people get really bad anxiety when it comes to tests. I liked tests until I got my grade back, and then I realized maybe I should have like studied for this test that I liked a whole lot. But I like it when people ask me questions. I like knowing if I can get the right answer. There's a lot of questions that we deal with every single day. It's not just trivia, but there's a lot of questions that we deal with every single day in our lives that we oftentimes, we answer and we don't even think about it. But our day is really guided by questions and the answers to the questions that we give, isn't it? 
Think about this. There's questions you hear all the time. It used to be a question. It's not so much anymore. This comes back from my days when I used to bag groceries at Kroger. I always had to ask the question, paper or plastic? I don't know if they ask that much anymore because paper is just not really an option. Plastic's not really an option either. They want you to bring your bags or just carry them out like some sort of, you know, person, like some sort of weirdo. Um, but, uh, but anyway, they used to ask the question, paper or plastic? How many times have you been asked, what's your favorite color? How many times have you been asked, want to go to, I'm going to the store, want to go with me? Or what should we eat for lunch? Where should I go? <laughs> My favorite question, you want fries with that? Look at me. Does it look like I've ever turned down the option of fries with that? Ever in my life. Yes, I want fries with that. I want his fries with mine too, okay? Those are the questions that we get asked all the time. Those don't necessarily have a huge, well, actually the fries probably ha do have a huge impact on your life. But then there's other questions that are a little bit more serious and can have a life-altering impact. Like the question that you, also, you, you often got when you were in high school and college, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? What are you going to major in? What, what career path do you want to go in? What are you going to study? Like a question, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the tr whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God, you better answer that question, right? And you better do it. The other question, do you take this person to be your lawfully wedded spouse? That's a pretty heavy question. And the most potentially life shattering and altering question of all, sweetheart, does this make me look fat? <laughs> that can alter the course of your life. We get a lot of questions asked of us a lot, don't we? And some of those questions are meaningful and some of those are not so meaningful and they don't really, you know, set the course for things. But sometimes there's some big ones. Today, in this, this morning, in the text that we just read, we see questions that were life-altering questions for some people. Jesus asked his disciples as he's come into town and Jesus is kind of getting some press by this time. And so when Jesus arrived in a town and his entourage was around him, there were people at the gates that probably ran through the town and said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is here. And so people began talking. And so they'd gone into the marketplace and they'd done all those things. And Jesus sits down with his disciples probably while they're eating lunch. And he says, so what's the word on the street about me? Who do people say that I am? And then he asks another question, and this is the most important question I think that could ever be asked, and it was simply this. Whatever they say, what do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? There are approximately 180 questions that Jesus asks of people and asks his disciples during the, in, the, in the gospel. But one question found in verse number 515 is by far the most impactful and important question he ever asked to his disciples. And it's a question that we wrestle with and have to wrestle with every single day, no matter what our religious affiliation may be, we will have to wrestle with this question, what do you think of Jesus Christ? The question that everyone must answer and you cannot remain neutral about. You cannot sit on the fence about Jesus. It's the question that will change your eternal direction. Who do you say that Jesus is? And you may be thinking, you say, hey, I'm in church on Sunday morning in August on a beautiful day. Obviously, I think Jesus is pretty special because I've given up my morning to be here to worship him. And here's the problem. If that's the thing you're looking at and saying, well, I've given up all kinds of better options to be here, I don't know if you've correctly answered that question because if Jesus truly is the Lord of Lords in your life, this is the only place you want to be or this is the only thing you want to be doing when the, when the church doors are open, when the church is gathering, is to be together and worship him as well. 
You see, who do you say that I am? We all may say, well, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. If you've got the kids bulletin, I'm giving you answers to the word jumble, by the way, right now, right this, this time. Yeah. He's the way maker. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's all of those things. You're not listening. Okay, anyway. It might be a th- an easy question to answer, and you may all know all the textbook answers, but in your heart, who is Jesus? And there's a lot of people today that are struggling with to answer this question. And many of you may be in this room today. Many of you might be watching right now. Because when you think about Jesus and you think about the way he's been portrayed in our culture, the way he's being questioned in our culture, the way he's presented in the word of God, something just doesn't seem to be lining up. And you're thinking, what about Jesus? What is, what is it about Jesus that I need to get? What do I need to understand? This question has to be answered correctly. It's the greatest question ever asked because the greatest amount of things hang on it as well. There's so much that hangs on how we answer this question. So today, I want to look at four things that we have to understand about why this is the most significant and most important question ever asked of anyone. Who do you say that Jesus is? Number one, it's such a great question because it's so popular. It's a popular question. When Jesus arrived in the town, everybody was talking about him. In verse number 13, we see when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the son of man is? Now they'd had a little bit of time in Philippi. They'd had a little time to get set up and they're sitting around talking and word on the street had kind of come around. They didn't really have Twitter, but he was probably trending and everybody was talking about him and everybody had an opinion on Jesus by this time because he performed a few miracles. He'd done some things. He was gaining popularity and everybody kind of had an idea of who he may be. Now understand this. There were a lot of people in that day who had kind of come around claiming to be the Messiah But along the way, they fell short of actually being the Messiah. They didn't fulfill the bill of who the Messiah truly was. And so a lot of people, when they saw Jesus come in, they had to kind of think, is he really this or is he just another wannabe who's propping himself up, acting like he's the Messiah, claiming to be, and he's just going to disappoint us down the road? You see, we get to view Scripture by knowing already the end of the book. We know Jesus is the man. He's the son of man, but they didn't know that. So there were a lot of people that were kind of coming up with all these different ideas about who Jesus is. And they were in Caesarea Philippi. Now, what you have to understand about Caesarea, that word Caesarea comes from Caesar, which means it was a heavily Roman-influenced town. It was a Jewish town, but it was under heavy Roman control. Heavy Roman control. So paganism was huge at that time. There was a god that they worshipped there called Pan. And Pan was just kind of where we get that idea of pantheology, meaning I'll worship anything and everything. And that God is just in everything and every and everyone and all of this stuff. And so there was a lot of things going on. Do I worship God? Do I worship, do I worship the pagan gods? All of these things. And all this stuff was swirling around. And then Jesus enters the city. And all of a sudden, everybody becomes a theologian saying, well, here's who I think Jesus is. And so Jesus... The Bible says that when, in verse number 14, it says, some of them say that you're John the Baptist, others say that you're Elijah, and others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So these are three theories that were swirling around as to who Jesus was. See, they thought he was John the Baptist because he was a national hero. 
who had stood up to the Pharisees, but this would be a strange idea since Jesus and John were both alive at the same time. So it wasn't like a re-manifestation of John the Baptist. They just thought maybe John the Baptist cleaned himself up, you know, trimmed his beard down and got all of the, like, the honey caked in his beard out of it. And, you know, the locust legs, he picked them out of his teeth and put on some regular clothes instead of the animal skins, you know, and maybe, you know, took a shower and thought, oh, that's just John the Baptist cleaned up. You know, we've never seen him looking like a normal person. And they're like, that's what they thought he was. They thought he was John the Baptist. The other one they thought he was was Elijah. Now, this was a little bit more mystical and mysterious because Elijah had been off the scene for a long time. But the thing about Elijah is he had not died because the Bible says that God had carried Elijah off in a chariot. So they thought God just sent Elijah back down to finish some work and do more work as the prophet. So they thought maybe he's Elijah. And then they also thought he might have been Jeremiah that he was Jeremiah actually been resurrected and come back to life because Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And because of his compassion, they saw Jesus being so compassionate and they hadn't seen a whole lot of other prophets and a lot of religious figures show so much compassion. So they thought this must be Jeremiah because he cares so much about the sick and he cares so much about the hurting and he cares so much about the oppressed. So this must be Jeremiah. So the common factor in all of these theories was that people were trying to relegate Jesus to just someone that they respected, someone that they knew, someone that would fit into the box that they had painted for who the Messiah would really be. The box that they painted. You don't paint a box, but this box that they had built. We do this all the time, don't we? We build this box and say, this is who Jesus is, and this is all Jesus can be. And if, I, and if he doesn't do what the box I've built says he should be, then he must not be Jesus. We do this, right? Or he must not be as good as I think he is. And we begin to get disillusioned with, this is what I think Jesus should do in my life, and he's not doing it in my life, and so therefore he must not be God, or there must be something wrong with me, or there's something wrong with him. And if we keep walking down that road, we eventually look and say, I don't need Jesus. It's a dangerous path. So the common factor is, they all wanted to put Jesus into something that they could comprehend. And something that they could just easily understand and define and control. Everyone today still has the same opinion about Jesus. They look and they hear the claims about Jesus. They look at the word. They hear the preachers. They hear their brothers. They hear their friends and their, their Christian friends and family. And they all have this idea of who Jesus is. Whether you know it or not, you're screaming to the world who you think Jesus is right now. Through your posts, through your conversation, through the way you live your life, through the ideas you have about Jesus. Those are being translated and transferred to the people around you who are, asking the, who are being asked this question, who do you say Jesus is? See, we're all answering this question one way or the other. And I wonder what answer people are getting from us. See, today they all have their ideas about Jesus. Some will deny his existence. There are a few of these people because there's so much evidence, both biblical and non-biblical, which point to the life and work of a man named Jesus of Nazareth. Historically, you can't even deny the presence or the life of Jesus. There's too much written about this man and too much evidence that this man existed so some that would say Jesus never even existed, it's just a figment of our imagination, has been debunked time and time and time again. Many just say that Jesus was a great teacher. That's the box they want to put Jesus in. They acknowledge his existence, but they relegate him to just another famous rabbi or famous prophet with valuable moral teachings, but nothing more. There's nothing supernatural. There's nothing godlike about Jesus. What he said was for that time and that time only, and today we've changed, and we don't really need to pay attention to what he said today. There's a lot of people who look at Jesus that way. There's other people who think that Jesus was a prophet. 
which is a little bit higher than a teacher. This one, a lot more in our current context. We live in a context of cultural Christianity today. And so we look at him and say he's a prophet. But today, in our cultural Christianity atmosphere that we live in, where Jesus is so familiar to us, we've heard the name Jesus so much, I think Jesus is just reduced to a mascot or an anecdote. You see, we see this one a lot more. See, the majority of people within our culture today have heard of Jesus. They know people who follow Jesus or they've seen uh, a message on TV or something like that and, or they've heard somebody or maybe somebody gave them a Bible and they looked at it a little bit and so we've heard so much about Jesus but Jesus has become a mascot. Jesus is someone who fights my causes. Jesus is someone who's always on my side. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody who basically tries to spiritualize their every opinion on life and practice and they basically say, Jesus agrees with me. Be careful of that person. Because we don't follow Jesus for him to agree with us. We follow Jesus in total agreement with him. Jesus is not just a mascot. You see, the opinion of Jesus is more shaped by our current culture in this situation, in our values, in our politics, in our philosophies, rather than by who Jesus actually was and what he taught. Jesus is whoever I want him to be becomes the answer that we give to who do you say Jesus is. And there's a lot of that going on on all kinds of sides and on all kinds of fronts today. But the truth of the matter is, to this popular question, it doesn't matter about our opinion of Jesus because Jesus already knows who he is. Jesus is just who he is. And Peter nailed it when he said, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you are the anointed one, you are the one that all of our hope lies in. You're not just a mascot. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a teacher. You're not just this. You are prophet, priest, and king. You are prince of peace. You are the healer. You are the judge. You are the lawmaker, the lawgiver. You are the law fulfiller. You are everything. You are everything. So it's a popular question that many people are wrestling with. And what's interesting to me is that 2,000 years plus since Jesus walked this earth... We're still wrestling with this question of Jesus. How many people do you know have that kind of staying power in history? Not many. God has seen fit to make it so that Jesus becomes a name that spills off of the lips and will continue to spill off of the lips of humanity until the end of time. Because it's the name above all other names. It's a popular question because he is the most popular figure. He is who we need. It's a popular question, but number two, it's also a pointed question. It's a very pointed question. The thing about this question is a direct question from God. See, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God the Son, meaning he is God incarnate, God in the flesh. So when, when Jesus asks this question, it is God himself asking this question of his creation. Who do you say that I am? In most other religions, we don't see a God who seems to care about what his followers think about them. They're just God and that's the way it is. But here we see God cares about what we think of him and how we perceive him and who he is. Why does he care? Not because he has some sort of insecurity and he needs to be affirmed all the time. He cares because he knows that if we know who he is, it's best for us. It's best for us. 
This is why worship is important for us. It's not just something for us to do on a Sunday to show how righteous we are or so we keep God happy with us. We need to gather. We need worship. We need that in our lives. It's something that we benefit from. We need that. That's why God says, worship me. Give me glory. He says, who do you say that I am? In verse number 15. We see this important conjunction in the sentence, this, this word, but. It's a change in perspective. It's a shift in direction. It's a narrowing of range. Before, Jesus was asking his disciples, who does everybody think I am? So what's the, what's the, what's the word on the street in Caesarea? Who, who, what do they think about me? And they're all telling them everything. So it's an impersonal, indirect, third-person kind of way of looking at things. And the disciples have no problem giving all of these options. But then he shifts it on one conjunction. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? All of a sudden, it goes from a public opinion poll to now my personal beliefs. My personal beliefs. It gets a little bit more serious. And you can just imagine that it's getting a little bit quiet because everybody's talking and everybody's given a report here when it's about everybody else. But now only one person's willing to stand up and say anything. I kind of imagine everybody else just going silent and getting uncomfortable. And Peter finally saying, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God almost as a spokesperson for the rest of them. See, I know what they say, but what about you? See, Jesus is very direct. What you see when you, when you read through the Gospels and you study the Gospels, what you find about Jesus is he is loving, he is compassionate, but passive he is not. He is a direct person. He called out sin. He dealt with those who were judgmental. He dealt with those who were in sin. Even when he was showing compassion, say, to the woman that was caught in adultery, when he was standing at her defense so that she could live and be shown grace and mercy, what does he say to her at the very end? Go and sin no more. See, there's this idea about Jesus today, this picture of Jesus that we paint, is that Jesus, because of grace and mercy, is just okay with whatever you do. He's not. Because if he was okay with that, and God was okay with that, God was a real jerk to Jesus by putting him on the cross if there was no sin that ever had to be paid for. Sin matters. It matters. It matters before we're saved, and it matters after we're saved as well. Jesus is very pointed. He says, I want to know what you think about me. Why? Because the difference between life and death is very pointed. If you believe in Jesus, if you follow me, heaven. If you don't, hell. Jesus was asking this question so directly because the question is so pivotal. It's too important to just beat around the bush. He wanted to know where he stood. He wanted to know where he stood. And he said, well, Jesus already knows where he stands. But he, wanted, he wants us to define where he stands with us. If you've ever been in a relationship before, a romantic relationship before, you've all had that uh, moment where you have that uncomfortable conversation where you have to kind of like, where's this going? Are we friends? Are we more than friends? It's called the DTR relationship, or that's, you, you, ever, you know what that is? The DTR that stands for define the relationship. Anybody ever had one of those awkward conversations? Like, where are we at? Am I the only one who had to? No one else? Everybody just, just knew exactly what we all have these weird conversations. Now today on Facebook, I guess you don't have the conversation. You just change your relationship status. Is that what it is? It just makes everything. That's, that's the only thing you have to do to define the relationship, right? It's that awkward conversation when the couple has to define what they mean to each other. Are we just friends? You know, are we more? Is, is he or she the one? 
word of advice, before you propose, maybe have that conversation because that could lead, <clears throat> that could lead to a real disappointment in your life, okay? Could lead to a really awkward moment, all right? Stacy and I will be married 20 years next July. I mean, I say that because it sounds a lot more momentous, a lot more like momentous than saying, yeah, it's 19 years, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> if she sticks with me for 20, for a few more, for a few more months, we're, we're 20, right? <laughs> We had a lot of DTR conversations before we became a couple because we were really good friends. Like we were like best friends for a long time before anything romantic ever, ever developed. I think it was because she just took her that long to realize how awesome I really am. Uh, but anyway, but we, <laughs> we worked together. Um, you know, we both worked at the church. She worked in the daycare and I was, I was kind of the cook and everything. So I was like walking past the room and we hung out together all the time because we were, you know, there were very few people our age in the church. And so we hung out. Uh, I was working with the youth department. So she was working as a, as a counselor there in the youth. So we were together all the time. And we'd been really good friends through high school and through college and everything we kept in touch, even though we went to different schools. We were just really, really good friends. And it's funny because as friends, we talked to each other. This is the weird thing. As friends, we would talk to each other about the other people that we were dating. Like she'd, she'd email me and tell me about the, the guy that she was uh, dating there in Virginia. And uh, I'd be like, what an idiot. Uh, not because he was with her. I'd just be like, he was just, he's not good enough. You know what I'm saying? Um, man, I'm getting myself in some serious trouble today. Let's just move right on to point number three. Um, but uh, we talked about it, I, and I, you know, I talked with her about, you know, girls I was dating. She's probably thinking the same thing as like, man, you know, they, they need to move on to better pastures. Um, but anyway, <laughs> and I remember thinking, you know, here's the thing. It would go from, like, I would even look at, I would either even look at potential people that I could date through the filter of what I thought Stacy would think about this person. All right, but she's just a really good friend, right? You know, and then all of a sudden it went from, my thoughts went from, I wonder what Stacy would think to saying that this girl is nowhere near as cool or as awesome as Stacy is. And then it went from, you know, this girl's really pretty, but she is not even close to as pretty as Stacy is. And I'm like, uh-oh, I need to have a conversation. <laughs> we need to define the relationship a little bit. And so I just need to find out if she's thinking the same thing. So we had a lot of those conversations because I didn't want to mess up a great friendship. And plus, I think she was just like, she liked me chasing after her a little bit. And she liked hearing me say, you know, I really like you. I really think that, you know, I really think that this could be something more than friendship and stuff because she's a words of affirmation person. So she loves hearing that, you know, um, I really like you. and I think you're pretty. I tell her that every day because I mean it still uh, and things like that. So We've had those define the relationship situations. This is a define the relationship moment for Peter and for the rest of the disciples. And what's interesting to me is that the heat is getting ready to get turned up on Jesus like a lot. And it's almost like Jesus is sitting down with him saying, look, if you're in it for any other reason than for me, you're not going to last. Judas proves that later on, right? But we have to have that define the relationship moment with God. It's one thing to say, I know about you. Grandma took me to church. I go to this cool church down the street and, you know, it, it's, it's nice. It's a nice community and I'm involved or I watch this church on, on, online and stuff and it's cool and it's a nice addition to my Sunday before I go to brunch. But it is another thing to say, you are the Lord and master of my life. You are my savior. That's the define the relationship moment we all have to have. Have you had that moment in your life? It's a pointed question. It forces you to say, yes, I accept you. Yes, I will follow you. Or no, I will not. No, I reject you as the Savior. 
Because you can't just take a passive look at Jesus and say, yeah, I'm just kind of non-committal. You either accept him or you reject him. See, he says in verse number 16, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He wanted them to tell him where he stood. This was a question not for Jesus. Jesus didn't know. He, Jesus didn't need, to, need them to say anything because he already knew their hearts. He already knew where they were with him. This was for them to wrestle with. See, Jesus doesn't need to say, you're my king, to know that he's the king. He already is, always has been, and always will be. The reason we need to say that, and the reason we need to wrestle with that question, is because it depends on whether we believe he's the king, whether he is our king or not. He wanted to tell them where he stood. He said, who do you say that I am? It's for our benefit that Jesus puts us in that predicament to say, who do you say that I am? He loses nothing if we don't accept him, but we lose everything if we don't. See, it's the difference between accepting Jesus and denying him. It's the difference between faking it and making it as a believer. It's the difference between faith and heresy. It's the difference between being saved and being lost. It's the difference between being light and dark. And it's the difference between death and life. What do you think of Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's the difference for each home that we're going to go to in gospel to every home, all 2,300 of them. And we ask that question or that bag poses that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? How we answer that question is the difference between death and life. That's why number three, it's a defining question. It's a defining question. It demands that we take a side. Anyone who can think about Jesus on the cross and picture that, and anyone especially that was there to see that, they couldn't just passively look at it and say, wow, you know, that was an amazing thing. What a great story. It's a defining question. He asked his disciples to take a side. Do you side with the rest of the skeptics? Do you, decide, do you side with the rest of these people who don't know exactly what to believe? But you've been with me. You've been walking with me every day. You've been camping with me in every town that we go into. You've seen every miracle. You've seen every tear that's fallen from my eyes. You've heard my prayers. You've watched me. Who do you say that I am? And this is something that I think the unbelieving world has a problem with when they consider the church today, especially in America. We're the ones who were supposed to be as close to Jesus, and we're the ones who have it so messed up right now. If we can't get it right, how are the lost supposed to get it right? It demands that we take a side, and there are two very distinct sides to choose from in our text. You can choose to believe Jesus was just another man like John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah. Yes, they were great men used by God to do great things, but none of them qualified to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, because none of them were. They were just humans. Or you can side with Peter and the rest of the disciples and trust Jesus' words, his teachings, and his claims that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who saves our soul from hell, the one that all of Israel had waited on for centuries to be the one to liberate them spiritually, to be the Messiah that God had promised, not to just save them, but to save the world. And the key is that he can't be both. You can't wake up on Monday and say, Jesus is kind of like John the Baptist. He's a great teacher, and I like some of the things that he taught me, but some of the things I wrestle with, so I'm just going to do my own thing over here. Or I'm going to twist Jesus around and make him say this. 
You can't wake up on Monday and then on Tuesday say, no, he's Lord and Master and he's, he, what he says goes. You can't just be doing that. He's either our Lord or he's not. You see, in the Christian classic, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, who was the writer of the, uh, the books of Narnia, you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and all of those movies that came out back in like the early 2000s. But in one of his books that he wrote, and it's a classic discipleship book, I encourage you, if you've never read it, read it. It is one of the best theological works on what it means to live the Christian life and what Christianity really is. He gets three possible responses that one could have to Jesus. And he says, look, when you look at Jesus, the only responses you can give to this question are, you're, a, you're the Lord, you're a lunatic, or you're a liar. None of us would imagine ever looking Jesus in the face and saying, you're a lunatic. But here's how we do it. Lewis says that some call Jesus a good moral teacher, but to be careful in doing so because a good moral teacher would not falsely make some of the claims that Jesus did knowing that he couldn't fulfill them. So if Jesus was just a good moral teacher, a moral teacher with integrity, he loses integrity the minute he claims to be the son of God if he knows he's not. So he's a liar. He also said that if he wasn't really the son of God, the claims that he made and things he did would put him on the level of a lunatic, being, willingly, being willing to go unjustly to the cross. See, you get that? There's two options. He's either a good moral teacher and he's lying about being the son of God, or he's a teacher and he really believes he's the son of God when he's not, so he's crazy. Or, or... The only reasonable conclusion you can draw in light of Scripture is that Jesus is the Messiah. He truly is the Son of God. And here's why it's so important to get this right. Because to be 50-50 on Jesus is to be 100% lost. To be 50-50 on Jesus is to be 100% lost. You can't just say, yeah, I'm flirting with this Christianity thing. I got some questions. I hope I get them answered. It all comes down to Jesus and whether you trust him, whether you believe him or not. To remain neutral on who he is is the same as not believing. He demands that if we are to follow him, we must do it all the way. So we have to abandon all the other ideas and the theories and the little G gods that we chase after around here and we have to trust Jesus. Once I was playing golf, and I haven't played golf in a long time, but I remember the most embarrassing thing I ever did on a golf course was I was playing golf, and I'm telling you, I hit the shot of my life off the tee. It was like a par three or a par four. I can't remember exactly what it was. Greatest shot I ever hit. I hit a drive off the tee, and it landed three feet from the cup on the green, and I'm like doing a dance. I'm excited. I'm doing my happy dance and everything. And I'm like rubbing it into my, my partner's face and stuff. And he looks at me. He's like, dude, that was an awesome shot. I'm like, I know. Look at that. He goes, the problem is that's the wrong green. <laughs> what? We're on hole number one and you shot it on to hole number 18. You know, the course kind of right. Oh, he's like, there's the green you're shooting that stupid. And I was like, oh, I got you. You see, here's the thing. This is a lot of people. They think they're following Jesus and they're really excited about how spiritual they are and how much they got figured out in life, but they've totally missed the right mark. Is that you? You see, it is a very important defining question. What will you do with Jesus? And lastly, as we move to our time of invitation, is that it is a personal question. It is a personal question. We already kind of went over this a little bit. 
Jesus asked them, who does everybody say that I am? And then he makes it personal real quick. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? In verse number 15. See, Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. When he went to the cross, his blood covered the sins of all mankind. But he applies that grace individually. When he died on the cross, it didn't just make it that everybody all of a sudden is saved. We must receive that gift. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in the book of Romans, it says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Jesus supplied salvation, but we must claim it by asking for it. Have you asked? I'm not asking, have your grandparents told you about Jesus? Or have, have, have your parents told you about Jesus? Or has a teacher? Or have I told you about Jesus? I'm asking you, have you wrestled with this question? Is Jesus your personal Savior? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? If you have not, today is the day to do that. It's a very personal question. Who am I to you? Look at that again in verse number 15. Read this again and just picture whatever voice you imagine of Jesus. It's Jesus speaking to you. But you, who do you say that I am? And here's what Jesus told us in John chapter 14, verse number 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This is a personal question. Who do you say that I am? It's a question that will be asked again for all of us when we stand before God and he says, so what did you say about my son? Because that's our only entrance into heaven. It's not gonna be, I preached for 20 years. I, I, I tried to model Jesus to my kids their whole life. I gave money to the church. I went and I did disaster relief in Haiti and I helped and I prayed and I did all. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be, what did you do with my son? Did you trust Jesus as your Savior? Because good works don't save us. Only the blood of Christ covers our sins. Peter gave the right answer when he said, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Because let me tell you this, if good works were gonna be the cue, Peter failed. He denied Christ. Later on, he would answer this, this, this thing wrong when people said, are you, my, are you one of Jesus' followers? He says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. He even cussed and like, he's like, no. H-E double hockey sticks, no. But he got it right when Jesus asked. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And there may be times in your life when you don't necessarily act like a follower, but if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are His child. Have you done that? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? You can't stumble over the question when God stands there and says, what do you say about Jesus? You can't hem haw around and be like, well, here's what this guy told me. And I watched a couple YouTube videos over here. And I watched the, you know, I watched, I watched the, the, the zealot crowd over here. And then I watched the deconstruction crowd over here on TikTok. And I did, here's what everybody else is saying. And God's going to say, I, I, what do you say? What do you say? So I'm asking now because I care. What do you see about Jesus? As we bow our heads and as we close our eyes, 
What do you say about Jesus? Do you know Christ is the son of God? Is he the Messiah? Is he the son of God? Because that has implications on our lives. If he's the son of God, he's your savior. If he's the Messiah, he's your only savior. Are you trusting in him? Do you know Christ as your savior? If you know Christ as your savior, then I ask you right now to be praying for those who may be struggling with this question to answer, that they would come to know him today. If you're here today or if you're watching today and you've never answered that question the way Peter did, you are my Messiah, you are my savior. I'm trusting in you to be my savior. Today is the day to ask him to save you. If you've never asked him, let today be the day. The Bible tells us that all we must do to follow him is to repent of our sins, to admit, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Doesn't matter how, how white the sin is, how, how gray the sin is. It, there's no white sins. There's, no, there's little white lies. There's none of that. There is sin, and all sin leads to death. Admit I'm a sinner. Admit that I have no cause for having that sin forgiven except for the grace of God. If you don't know Christ, let today be the day. Come talk to me, talk to somebody in the back. If you have questions about it, please let's talk about it. Let's get this taken care of. The Bible says to believe in him is to put our faith and trust in him. Nothing that we can do. Trust him, ask him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm trusting in you as the Messiah, as the son of the living God. And I trust nothing else. That is the prayer of salvation. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. Be my Savior. If you need to be saved today, come today. If there's somebody that you need to pray for, come today. Whatever you may need, please come. God, work in this time now. Holy Spirit, do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand today, if you need to come, would you please do so? Thank you for listening today. At Grace Way, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.